The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Good morning again. Welcome. Man, what an awesome day we've had so far. And uh, maybe if you came in already, you might have got some food on your way in outside. Uh, just make your way around the different little stations, the different tents uh, after the service. A lot of different food, a lot of fun. And uh, as Ryan said, we've got a few baptisms in this next service as well. In fact, I've I got to confess to you. I, um, so we, we had a baptism in the last service afterwards outside, and I forgot to take off my Fitbit. And, uh, so, and in fact, I knew it as soon as I was going down. I was like, oh man, I forgot to take off my watch. You know, kind of a you know, really weird thing to think of when you're baptizing somebody. And then I thought, man, it gave me like 5,000 extra steps for a baptism though. So I'm like, wow, that was great. No, it's actually still working. Everything's good. Um, hey, another thing that's in your bulletin today, I want you to take note of uh, the little red insert. Uh, it's Operation Christmas Child. I know it sounds kind of funny to be talking about Christmas already. Although if you've been to Costco uh, this past week, it's already got full of Christmas stuff. It sounds kind of crazy September, now October. Uh, but uh, the reason we're thinking about it now is because we've got to make plans for Operation Christmas Child because we actually have our packing and wrapping party of all those shoe boxes uh, in early November. And so you'll notice a display out there on your way in or your way out right there in the back of the auditorium. And there's an insert kind of explaining all the different things that we're collecting. And uh, typically we like to wrap and pack like close to 150 plus shoe boxes. So to do that though, uh, it's really just through your generosity. So bring those items, we'll start collecting them. And I'd love for you to come and celebrate with us at the packing and wrapping party. Um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard of a guy uh, in the Bible by the name of David? Okay, of course you have, obviously. It's almost like saying, you know, have you ever heard about Moses, right? Uh, more has been written, though, about David in the Bible uh, than any other biblical character. Abraham uh, and Joseph have like 14 characters, uh, excuse me, 14 chapters uh, dedicated to their lives. Uh, Jacob has 11, Elijah has 10. But do you have any idea how many chapters in the Bible are dedicated uh, to the life of David? 66. And that doesn't include the 59 references to his life in the New Testament or the Psalms that he wrote. Uh, ever heard of a little incident, a uh, little story called David and Goliath? Uh, yes, obviously. Uh, in fact, that's typically one of, uh, um, it's every young boy's, you know, probably favorite Bible story. If you went, grew up going to church or something like that. In fact, um, it was definitely my son Christopher's favorite uh, Bible story when he was just a toddler. Man, I would tell him that story over and over and over again, very dramatic fashion. And uh, the problem though was, is I remember when uh, he first saw a children's video of the story of David and Goliath. And uh, he got so upset because at the end of the story, when it got to the end of the video, David didn't take Goliath's sword and chop off his head, you know, like he does in the Bible. And that was, you know, kind of a little dramatic uh, uh, thing on my end when I would tell the story. So uh, I took him to see the movie Gladiator right after that. He was fine. Everything, everything was good. Um, but on two separate occasions, David is specifically called a man after God's own heart. In fact, listen to Acts chapter 13, verse 22. It's on your outline and it's on the screen. But God removed him from the kingship and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, David, son of Jesse, is a man after my own heart, for he will do everything I want him to. Wow. Man, what a, uh, what a powerful description of someone's life. 
And by the way, this isn't his mama saying it, you know. Um, this is the Bible. This is God's word. It says, uh, he is a man after my own heart. And uh, he will do everything that I want him to. And right there, there's already a, kind of the, the idea of what it means to be someone after God's heart, a willingness, an obedience, a, a, a humility to listen to God's voice and do whatever he says. You know, you could easily get the impression, though, that David was some kind of phenomenal, you know, superhero, a child prodigy, you know, destined for greatness from some very young age, unless, unless that is, you know, the backstory to David. And that's what I want us to look at today as we kick off this series, After God's Heart, and talk about the life of David. Let me tell you a little bit about the world in which David was brought up. Uh, the nation of Israel at this point, honestly, they were on a long drift away from God. Up to this point, they were led by God and God's word and his instructions and his ways were all passed down to them through the spiritually mature who were called priests and judges. But by this time, even many of them had gone astray. And so the people of Israel were, were disillusioned and, and angry, and, and, and instead of waiting on God and being you know, patiently faithful um, and, and waiting on God to raise up new godly leadership, all they did was complain and, and, and they clamored for a king. Honestly, they were tired of, of worshiping an invisible God. They, they wanted to be like all the other nations, all the other nations around them. They wanted royalty. And so the prophet Samuel at this time was the last remaining judge. And God basically told him to finally give the people what they wanted, to turn them over to themselves. Well, the people chose Saul. The Bible says about Saul that he was a head and shoulders above everyone. He was tall, he was dark. He was handsome, kind of like somebody else you might know. Um, yeah, but, uh, but that's how people chose kings. You know, they, they, they go after somebody who looks the part, someone who tickles their ears and promises to deliver whatever they want. Well, Saul definitely fit the bill. And Saul started off great, he did. But it wasn't long before Saul went terribly, terribly bad. Uh, he drifted away from God. He became a thin-skinned, hot-tempered madman who tweeted 12 times before breakfast. Uh, no, just joking. Uh, but seriously, you, you read the story, and in so many ways it sounds like our culture and our world today. So the people of Israel got their way, got what they wanted, but they quickly discovered that their way was all wrong. By the way, sometimes in the Bible, this is referred to as the passive judgment of God. It's those times where God just kind of turns us over to ourselves and uh, lets us have our own way. And hopefully, hopefully, the consequences of that of our actions, will eventually draw us back to him. You know, maybe we'll hit rock bottom, or hopefully we'll come to our senses, we'll, 
will have that wake-up call. But this was true back then. It's definitely true today. And I want you to hear this loud and clear. It is true for you, and it's true for me. No matter where you are in that journey, listen, no matter if at some point you chose to go your own way and you've discovered that that way has been all wrong, in God's great, great love for you, He never abandons you. He never does. He's never left you. You know, when you feel like you were all alone in that pit of despair, and maybe, maybe you came in here today, and quite honestly, that's kind of where you feel right now. Listen, God is there. He is right there with you. He is waiting on you to call out to him. Well, God was definitely there for the children of Israel. Through the prophet Samuel, God intervened one more time, and I want you to follow along as I read now from 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. It'll be on the screen. Finally, the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. Now fill your horn with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my new king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? You know, if Saul hears about it, he'll kill me. Well, take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you've come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed him. So Samuel goes to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem, and from within his children... He is told that he is going to find and anoint the new king of Israel. Look at verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. Samuel sees Jesse's oldest son, you know, right off the bat. He's thinking, Man, this is obvious. This is the one. You know, I've, I've come this way. You know, God's got me on a mission. Here's, here's Eliab. This is the one. Now, why? I mean, why? Why did Samuel think that? Why did he take one look at Eliab and think, well, this is obviously the next king? I think it's the same reason we would have picked Eliab. It's the reason we've kept up with the Kardashians now for 14 seasons, starting tonight on channel, no. Um, you know why? Listen, because we're impressed with appearances. We are, we, we are impressed with appearances. And, and Eliab looked the part. I mean, obviously, he looked the part. He looked like, from the outside, you know, the type of person that you would, you know, normally choose to be a king. I mean, so obviously, because what we know about Saul, you know, head and shoulders above everybody, so no doubt, Eliab, man, he must have been tall, impressive, strong-looking. He was the oldest, we know that. Later on, we find out he was quite the warrior. So again, from all outside appearances, it was obvious to Samuel and probably everybody else in the room Room, this is going to be the next king. But Samuel did not see what we so often don't see either. 
And that was character. He didn't see his heart. You know, Samuel was enamored like we are, uh, like, like most of us, with, with, with the packaging, with the outside. And so God said, no, no, Samuel, he's not the one, it's not him. In fact, I want you to listen very carefully to verse seven, because this is definitely probably the theme verse for this entire series this month. Listen to this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance. Don't consider his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? What's it say? The Lord looks at the what? Say it with me. The what? The heart. The heart. Coastal, listen, if there is anything... If there's anything about, you know, my vision and my focus and, and uh, if, there, if there's a prayer that I have that, I, God, I want to work on this. There's something about my life that I want to keep improving on. It is this right here. It is the ability to look past outward appearances, to look past the way, the way people appear. You know, um, when you first see them, it's, it's the ability to see people the way God does, to see the heart. You know, I, I want to be that type of church, by the way, coastal. I want us to be a church that sees beyond the obvious. I want to be a church that sees beyond somebody's track record, that sees beyond someone's age. This is important. I want to be a church that sees beyond the color of somebody's skin, that sees beyond, you know, what somebody has done, where, where they have been, you know, what, what people say about them. That's my prayer. God, give me your eyes. Give me the ability to see, not what everybody else can see, but what you see. Help me to see what people can become. Jesse then brings out his next oldest son. You ready for this? Then another, and another, and another. In fact, verse 10 says this. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord's not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? You know, in other words, he's thinking, God, you didn't get me on a wild goose chase, did you? You brought me all the way out here, fear for my life. People are wondering what's going on. You bring me to the house of Jesse. He brings out somebody that looks the part, but you say, no, that's not him. And then he brings out all of them. God, is this it? Is this, is, you know, Jesse, is this all you got? And you know what the dad says? You know what Jesse says? He says this. Well, there is still the youngest. But he, he's outside. He's out in the fields watching, watching the sheep. You've got you to gotta catch this. Don't miss this. This is his own dad saying, well, you know what? You don't want him. You know, I didn't even include him in this little parade. Because I don't think that highly of them. He's the smallest. He's the youngest. I mean, who knows what they thought about him, but they didn't even include him. And Samuel said this, send for him at once. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. And he brought a sacrifice. In other words, we're not having barbecue until I see this boy. So Jesse sent for him. He was ruddy and handsome, with pleasant eyes. And the Lord said, listen to this, this 
is the one. This is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, can you imagine that picture? Again, here's the one they didn't even want. Here's the one they didn't even include. Probably smaller than all the rest. And it says, so as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the olive oil he brought and he poured it on David's head. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him from that day on. Now here's the truth. Some of you here today, you grew up in a home just like this. You grew up in an environment just like David. You didn't get a lot of positive strokes. You didn't get a lot of encouraging words. You didn't get a lot of pat on the backs. You didn't get a lot of attaboys. You didn't get a lot of love and encouragement. All your life, all your life, you felt small, you felt insignificant, you felt like you have been overlooked. And then today, even today, you wonder to yourself sometimes, is there really a place for me in this world? Do I fit in? And is it possible that God could ever, ever use somebody like me? And then the sad truth is, is that for some of you, instead of turning to the church, because you've looked at a lot of churches today, and you see a lot of people who call themselves Christians, and you see people who think and act like they're better than everybody else. You see, for some people, the church is nothing more than about being seen and seeing others. For so many people, the church is all about looking good. It's all about out appearances. It's all about keeping a list of do's and don'ts. It's all about sizing people up. It's all about comparing. It's all about judging, not welcoming, not loving, not becoming more and more like Jesus, and then just letting him transform us and change us from the inside out, and just lovingly extending people grace while he does that in their lives. Let me ask you a question. Why did God choose David? Or maybe a better question is, what kind of people does God choose and use? Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is interesting. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God calls you. Now, boy, what a great way to, what a welcome. Hey, you're, you were a bunch of losers, basically, is what he's saying, you know. You know, you weren't smart, you weren't powerful, and you ain't got a two, two nickels to rub together, okay? Instead, listen to this, instead, God deliberately chose things the world considers foolish, in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose those who are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose the things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important so that nobody could ever boast in the presence of God. We forget that. We forget that, you know, when we look for people, when, when, we, when we choose people to, to look up to, you know, we're often impressed by things that just cause for bragging. You know what, well, come on, we want the beautiful people, we want the brilliant people, the successful people, the pretty people. We are so enamored constantly with the surface with outward appearances. Listen, we even elect people to public office based on how they look on television. But God says, that's not how I make my choices. I choose the nobodies, and I turn them into somebodies. Listen, that is the story of David. And that is the story that you see over and over again, all throughout the Bible. That's the story of this church. 
And that's what I want you to catch today as we begin this series on David. God uses nobodies and he turns them into somebodies. Listen, when God was ready to establish a nation through which he would send the deliverer, he chose one old man and one old woman, you know, way past childbearing age, nobodies, nobodies. And he said, you're going to be the ones through which the promise is going to come. And they became somebodies in the hands of God. Joseph, I mean, a, a guy from a dysfunctional family who'd been sold into slavery from, by his brothers, falsely accused of rape, spent time in prison, was a convict, a nobody. This was the man that God would use to raise to become second in command in the most powerful nation on the planet at that time and would keep God's people from dying of a worldwide famine. When God was ready to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt, he chose a disgraced felon, a murderer by the name of Moses, who was afraid of public speaking. Listen, at that point, he was a nobody, and he used him to challenge the most powerful ruler in the world and lead his people to freedom and liberty. When God wanted to protect those spies that he sent into the promised land to check it out, who did he use? He used a prostitute by the name of Rahab. When God wanted to protect his people from this genocide plan cooked up by a, cro a crooked politician, he used a nobody little young Jewish girl named Esther. When God chose to send his son Jesus, his one and only son to the earth as a flesh and blood human being, listen to me, he didn't choose a, a couple of wealthy, prominent royalty to be you know, his parents. No, he sent him as a baby to be born in a backwoods town in a barn to a poor young peasant couple. A couple of nobodies. Listen, you can't get around it. It is all through the Bible. It is all throughout history. And it is all over this church. God uses nobodies and he turns them into somebodies. Listen, when God scans the earth, when he is looking for people that he might use, he's not looking for perfect people. By the way, because there aren't any. He's looking for humble, devoted hearts. That one of my favorite passages of Scripture, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. Listen to this. It says, the eyes of the Lord search the whole earth. That one translation says that the eyes of the Lord move back and forth, back and forth, searching the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose what? Whose what? Hearts. He's looking at our heart. He's looking for hearts that are fully committed to him. David, we know, was a man after God's heart. But make no mistake, and this is important, David wasn't perfect. I mean, far, far from it. I mean, you've all heard about David and Goliath, right? Well, we're going to take a look at that next week, talk a little bit more about that story. But you've probably also heard about David and Bathsheba. You see, David eventually does become king, and he does a lot of great things, but like many uh, great leaders who become enamored with success and power, David for a time also drifts away from God. And we'll take a look at, uh, take a look at that story in more detail in the coming weeks as well. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. He hatches a very elaborate plan to try to cover it up. It doesn't work. So he has Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered. Killed in battle. 
murderer, adulterer, liar. I mean, this guy is jacked up. He is messed up. Just like who? Listen, just like me. Just like you. We're all messed up. We all fall short. Listen, the standard of of falling short or not falling short, the standard of judgment, the standard of comparison is not me. It's not you. It's not your neighbor. It's not your coworker. It's not Billy Graham or the Pope. It's God. And compared to him, we all fall short. So what do we do? How in the world do we fix our heart? So here's the truth. You can't. You can't. Now, sure, you know, you can spend the rest of your day scrambling around, you know, trying to do it yourself. That'll eventually lead to one of two things. One, religion. Two, rebellion. Religion or rebellion. Religion is just a false notion that somehow you could clean yourself up, you know, keep this long list of do's and don'ts and earn or improve your standing before God, which typically just turns yourself into a self-righteous, judgmental Pharisee. And all religion will do is get you cuts in the line to hell. Or you realize, well, you know what? I could never be good enough. And so you're filled with shame and guilt over not measuring up and eventually anger at a God that you could never please. So you just turn away from him and go your own way. Don't you see? It's just two sides of the same coin. But neither one of them ultimately deals with our heart problem. Or we can do what thousands of people have done throughout history. What countless people here at this church have done. We can do what David did. Which is exactly why he was a man after God's heart. We can humbly admit it. That we do have a heart problem. Ask for forgiveness and seek a personal relationship with God. Not religion, but a friendship, a relationship with God. Listen to parts of Psalm 51. We'll take a look at this more in detail later, but this is what David did. This is what I did. This is what so many people here in this church have done. And you can do it today as well. Listen to what he wrote. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. Some of you have been there, done that, right? God, against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Purify me from my sin and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean what? Heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then, then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. And then this is interesting. Listen to this. He says, you would not be pleased with sacrifices or I'd bring them. If I brought you a burnt offering, you would not accept it. Listen, do you see what he's talking about there? He's talking about outward appearances. 
You know, he's talking about going through the motions. He's, he's talking about religion. He says, the sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken and repentant heart, oh God. You will not despise. Let me just close by saying this. Listen to me. Ultimately, we can't fix our own heart problem. You say, oh, Pastor Chris, man, that, that leaves us screwed up then. But God, in his great, great love, in fact, listen, he loves you. He doesn't see a crowd of people here this morning. He sees you in your chair. God loves you so much that he was willing to take care of your heart problem. And so what he did is that he provided a way, a way through his one and only son, Jesus. He willingly sacrificed his own son as payment for our sin. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was crucified on a cross. He took a beating, the likes of which you and I could hardly fathom, and he did that for your sin and mine. But three days later, three days later, he rose from the dead. It was recorded in history. It was witnessed by hundreds of people. It, it changed the world. He rose from the dead and he is alive. And it proved his power over sin and death. And just like David, if you would just humbly come clean and just admit it, admit your heart problem, admit who you are, and then just ask Jesus to come into your heart. And he will. Listen, he wants to. He's waiting to. And some of you are here today and you're thinking, yeah, but I've got to clean up my life first. I'm not. Listen, it's not about that. That's religion. You can't clean up your life enough. But he will do it for you. If you'll just ask, in fact, if you'll just take that one step of faith, he will make up the distance. He will run to you with open arms. He will forgive you. He will make you clean. He will make you brand new. He will take a nobody and turn you into a somebody. And you can have that today by faith. I want to lead you through a prayer. Maybe you're here today or maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe today is your first time. And it's just time. It's time that you pour out your heart to God and admit to him what, what you've been wrestling with and struggling with. You know, when it's just you and your thoughts late at night and you know, you're trying to fill that hole in your heart with so many other different things. And whether that's religion or rebellion, listen, none of those things will satisfy it's a personal relationship with God through Christ. And you can have that today. If simply like David, you'll humbly admit it and you'll ask him to do the work. He'll do it. And then when God looks at you, when you ask Christ to come into your life, when God sees you from that point on, you know what he says? Perfect. Perfect. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I do pray that 
here at Coastal, you would give us your eyes. God, help us to see beyond the obvious. Help us to see beyond outward appearances. Help us to look at people's hearts. And Father, the truth is, all of us, all of us have a heart problem. Left to ourselves, just like the children of Israel, we choose to go our own way. And everybody in this room has. Many, many who are here today have already come home to you. I believe, God, there are people here today who are ready. Who are ready, like David, just to finally deal with their heart. Listen, if that's you, God's waiting on you. You're not here today by accident. You're not here just because you got something in the mail. You're not here just because you got a Facebook invite. You're not just here because even a friend invited you. You're here because God has been drawing you to himself. He's calling you home. Listen, answer his call. Just say, dear Heavenly Father, I want to come home. God, I admit it, I do. I'm messed up. And I've been pretending that I'm not and I've been searching for other things to fill that void in my life and nothing, nothing satisfies. I've even been angry at you for... God, today, I come home. I believe. I believe that Jesus really is your son. I believe that he went to a cross for me. He died on that cross to pay for my sin. But three days later, and God, as much as I understand, as much as I know how, I believe that he rose from the dead and he is alive and he's your son. And not only do I ask him to come into my life, I ask him to forgive me. I ask him to be my savior and my Lord. And God, now for the rest of my days, I just want to follow him. I want to become more and more like now you see me as clean and brand new and forgiven. And I, I just want to, I want to be transformed. I want to allow you and your word and your spirit to change me day by day by day. And Father, I pray that uh, this church coastal would be about the mission of, of sharing and experiencing the life and love of Jesus with Charleston and the world. Give us your eyes to see people the way you do. We love you. We pray these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.